All right, so here's, here's what we're going to do. For the next seven weeks, including this morning, we're going to be going through a series simply called I Am. I Am. Um, leading into the holidays, it's, it's fairly common to start telling stories about the nativity scene and, and wise men and shepherds and all of that. And we're not going to do that this year. Instead, we're going to talk about who is that baby that came? Who is this child? What's he all about? And so we're going to take the next seven weeks. And here's what we're going to do. Jesus proclaimed several things while he was walking this, this earth. He proclaimed big picture who he is. He's God. He also used a lot of imagery to help us understand who he is and how he operates in our lives. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to ask you guys over the next seven weeks to put on some special glasses. Do we have anybody in here that has to wear readers? Like you don't wear glasses any other time, but you put them on. Basically, two or three people can relate to that. Okay, y'all get the concept, right? I need to see something a little bit more clearly. I'm sitting down to read. The glasses go on. What I'm going to ask you guys to do is put on your John the Apostle glasses the next seven weeks. Because here's the challenge in front of us. John wrote about things he saw. He didn't sit down to craft a cool story. He didn't come up with an idea for a novel. He walked this earth with a man named Jesus, and he was amazed at what he saw. And he wrote down what he witnessed. Then, after he watched Jesus ascend into heaven, like he, he saw that happen in front of him. Like I, sometimes I don't think we appreciate what the disciples witnessed. They saw him on the cross. They saw him there. They waited three days in what I can't even imagine the pit that they were in during those three days. And then they saw him alive with the scars, with the wounds. And then they watched him ascend into heaven. They were eyewitnesses of these things. And so then years later, John finds himself one of the last remaining eyewitnesses still alive. And he's now been imprisoned and kind of outcast on this island called Patmos. And he's there getting older and watching all the persecution that's going on with the church. He's seen his, his brothers, his friends, be killed for their faith in Jesus. And as he's holding on and wondering what's going to happen as we've passed this baton to the next generation, the eyewitnesses are, are fading away. And in that place, old, worn down, discouraged, in despair, he finds himself on this island and he has this vision as he was worshiping God on the day of the Lord. And we have the book of Revelation. I'm asking us to take a big leap in this series. We're going to read words that John tried to use to describe something he saw. He saw Jesus walk the earth. He saw this vision of Jesus and what he had planned for us. And now we get to get a kind of eagle's eye view of that. We get to look back in history and find 
today's news, today's good news. That Jesus is alive today and he's doing stuff today. And so here's where we're going with this series. Really simply put, there are, there are seven statements, proclamations of Jesus in John's gospel. John's gospel is a little bit unique, a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He hones in on some very specific moments and does a little deeper dive on some very specific moments in the life of Jesus. And there are seven statements. They're known as the I am statements of Jesus found in the gospel of John. You might be familiar with some of these or all of these. Um, I am the light of the world. I'm the true vine. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door. Things like that. We're going to unpack each of those. And as we look at who Jesus declared himself to be, we're then going to look into the book of Revelation and see that the same Jesus that made those seven I am statements, he wrote seven letters to the church. And there are encouragements in there. There are warnings in there. He's calling us to some specific things in light of who he is. So as we're unpacking Jesus' identity and mission, we are discovering our own identity and mission. Y'all tracking with me? And so we're going to see some, some parallels, some connections between who Jesus is and what he has to say to us in his letters to the churches. So this morning is, is in a lot of ways, it's very introductory. I want to I help you see a few things and, and kind of give us an approach and a mindset as we go into this. Um, it might be the, the least applicational of the, of the rest of the series, but I do think there are a couple of things we're being called to as we step into this. So we're going to jump in. So, so what I want to do here is um, we're going to start in John's gospel, chapter eight, and we're going to look at the main I am statement that Jesus made in John chapter eight. So let me give you a little bit, bit of background here. If you want to turn there to follow along, you can. We'll look at several verses throughout that chapter. Um, we will also find ourselves in Exodus, and then we're going to finish up in the book of Revelation. That's where we're going this morning. John 8, Exodus, tail, tail end of chapter 2, first part of chapter 3, and then the book of Revelation. In John chapter 8, the scene opens with this familiar moment where Jesus is in a crowd of people. He's at the temple, and this woman that was caught in adultery gets brought before him. Anybody familiar with that, that scene? She's caught in adultery. She's brought before him. And this is the famous moment where Jesus says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And everybody drops their rocks. They were ready to kill her. And they go away. And he tells her, where, woman, where are your accusers? They've all left. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Everybody's just witnessed this scene. Then Jesus begins to have an interaction with all of those Jews that just witnessed this. And he's talking with them and he's explaining who he is and they have some questions and he's giving them some answers. And at the end of that conversation, after he finishes saying some things, we come to verse 30. So they've witnessed this moment. They've heard Jesus answering some of their questions. And at the end of that, some of the people present, John chapter eight, verse 30 tells us this, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Can you guys say many believed in him? Good. What follows is a conversation has with those people who believed in him. We should take note of that. 
Often in this passage, we assume Jesus is just talking to the Pharisees. And it's very possible that some of these people present who believed in him were some of those Pharisees. But these are people who heard him say some things, watched him forgive this woman, and they're drawn in. They're like, okay, I'm, I'm interested in this guy. I'm, I'm starting to put my faith in him. There's something real going on here. And then Jesus begins to have this conversation with them. So here's what we're going to pick up this morning. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abide in my word, you'll be my disciples, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, can we just stop right there for a second? Is anyone in this room familiar with the phrase, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free? Don't we hear that through the lens of being really good news? They did not receive it that way. They did not receive that. They got defensive immediately. What do you mean set us free? We've never been slaves. We're Abraham's children. They get really defensive. Their walls go up and all of a sudden they're like, hold on, Jesus, I was with you till you told me that you've got truth for me that I don't have right now and that it'll set me free, meaning I'm enslaved. And they rejected that. They pushed back against it. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Something is going on here that we need to understand. So let me start with how Jesus begins things. He says, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples. So he says, hey, listen, you guys are saying you believe in me. You're interested in following me. Great, let me tell you how to do that. Abide in my word. What, is, what does the word abide mean? Live there. I, I realize we don't use the word abide a lot, but if I was going to use it, I would, I would tell you my home address if I was telling you where I abide. It's where I live. Let's live in his word. And as we live in his word, we become something. We become a disciple. We start, it's an apprentice. We become like him. We learn who he is. We learn what he's like. We start becoming like him. And then something happens. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Here, here's the first thing I hope you can see this morning. Truth in and of itself does not set you free. Did y'all hear that? Truth in and of itself does not set you free. It is the truth that you know that sets you free. And when the Bible words that uses the word know, K-N-O-W, it's the same word that's used to describe intimacy between a man and a woman. It means I'm intimately acquainted with the truth. It's not information that I read on a piece of paper one time. It's not a class that I sat through. It's not a list of instructions I follow. I am intimately acquainted with the truth. And the more truth that I become intimately acquainted with, the more free I will be the more free I will be. Here, here's, I, I have an encouragement and I have a warning. <laughs> what do you want first? Warning, warning. okay, I, I think that way too. Here's the warning. The warning is 
their reaction. These were people who had begun to believe in Jesus and then they heard this information and they freaked out. And what's funny about how they freaked out, they're not even telling the truth. Listen to what they said. We've never been slaves. We're children of Abraham. Okay, Egypt, children of Abraham, you were in Egypt for like 400 years enslaved. Okay, then you moved into the promised land. That was pretty great for a while. But then you got captured again. You got passed around by a couple of different um, ruling uh, dynasties that came through. Then you got set free of that. And now, oh, by the way, today, as Jesus is here talking to you, there's, you know, the Roman Empire. Right? Do you see what's happening here? Like, they are immediately becoming so defensive, they, they are distancing themselves from reality. When Jesus says, I come to bring you the truth, it's not just this, this vague misty, like truth about God. God's truth speaks to reality. Here's how this world that he made works. Here's some things that go wrong in this world. Here's some things that will work great if you do them. Jesus is calling us into reality. He's calling us into truth. He's calling us into what is and it's become really hard for us to see that. And so the warning is simply this. We can't just assume as a believer that I'm always seeing truth and reality clearly. That as Jesus invites me into some things, I have the potential to do the same thing these people did. I have the potential to reject some of what I hear. I don't know how familiar you guys are with the letters to the churches in Revelation, but some of them are pretty brutal. There's some very direct calling out. Now, Jesus is calling out for the purpose of restoring and helping and changing. But, but there are times where when, when Jesus steps up and says, here's who I am and here's what that means for you, there will be parts of that that push us. If I agree with everything my God says, I have a God of my own making. I'm going to say that again. If I agree with everything my God says, I have a God of my own making. If he's really God, he has to be able to contradict me at times. He sees things I don't see. He understands things I don't understand. And these, these guys at least were honest enough to recognize that what Jesus was saying was actually scandalous. You are enslaved. But then Jesus went on to define for them. He doesn't even call them out about the fact that they're subservient to the Romans and he doesn't unpack all their history. He says, listen, forget that for a minute. I'm talking to you about sin. If you are struggling with sin, you're enslaved to it. And I want to set you free from that. And so will, will you hear what I have to say, what I have to speak to, because I would love to set you free from that stuff that's enslaving you. He's offering really good news, but that good news is going to invite change in us. Who he is and what he is up to will change who I am and what I'm called to be up to. Are y'all tracking with me so far? So Jesus is unpacking this with them. And then he just, he just tells them really, really simply. If we, if we skip down a little bit, you, I don't mean to skip the whole passage. There's a lot here 
You can go back and read it. But down at verse 43, Jesus simply looks at them finally and says, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You can't bear to hear it. And so, so the warning is that truth exposes reality. One of, the, one of the I am statements of Jesus that we're going to explore soon is that he's the light of the world. Light's wonderful. It helps me see clearly. Have you ever walked into a dark room and you think you know the room pretty well? Maybe you're like stumbling to the restroom in the middle of the night and you don't want to turn on the lights and then you begin to run in to some reality in the room and stub your toe, bang your knee, trip and fall. Who left that toy there? You know, that sort of thing. Um, if you have a house full of kids, there's a lot of that that goes on, right? So, so the darkness keeps us from seeing reality. But when the light gets turned on, the good news is we can see clearly. The bad news is there's some things we might not want to be seen. There's a reason that when Adam and Eve sinned, they ran and they hid. We're afraid of being exposed. And so I said there's a warning. That's the warning. But here's the good news. The good news is Jesus wants to expose those things in order to set us free. He wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. He wants to enjoy the fullness of who he is and what our life will look like surrendered to him. That's the invitation. And so his call to us is, do we really want healing and freedom? And so what, what my plan is, you know, I can't, I can't and don't want to be the Holy Spirit. That's a really bad position for any person to try. What, what I want to do is talk about who Jesus is. Let's hold him up. I mean, that's, that's what John does in the book of Revelation. He just says, check this out. Look at him. He's on fire. He's lit up. His eyes are blazing. He's got this sword. He's riding this white horse. He's, he gives us all this imagery. He's holding Jesus up and just saying, check him out. See him for who he is and then listen to what he has to say to you. And if we will give ourselves to that, there is some healing and some freedom that is available. I believe there are things in our lives Jesus wants to heal and set us free from. I also believe that a lot of us have experienced that. And Jesus would like to inspire us to be like John. Go tell other people what we have seen, what we have heard, what we've experienced. Let's pass on this freedom that Jesus has to offer. And so that's, that's my hope as we launch into this. So anyways, if you continue to unpack the story, I just, I wanna lead you to one more point. You know, they go from denying reality, saying we were never slaves. That dialogue doesn't work. So then they just go to insulting Jesus. They, they begin to tell him, well, you've just got a demon. You're a Samaritan. Like whatever insulting thing they can come up with, they just began to insult him. And their goal, their goal is to attack his identity and discredit him. Now, I will just also tell you as an aside, that's what we do in the world that we live in. When I hear something I don't want to hear, when I see something I don't like, the simplest thing to do is write that person off. I want to discredit them. If, if, if they're not worth listening to, then I don't have to deal with what they just told me. And so we discredit, we attack people. And that's what they did with Jesus. And so finally, Jesus is just hearing all of this 
And it's just like, it's building to this moment. And so he cuts through all of it with one final bold proclamation. He says, look, here's the deal. You want to know who I am? Here I am. John 8, 58. Then Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That seems like a weird statement. They knew exactly what he was talking about because in verse 59 it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Um, I've always, I found it interesting over the years. I've heard people use the argument, Jesus never claimed to be God. I don't know how you can make that claim if you honestly read through the gospels. Um, but if you're ever uncertain what Jesus is saying, pay attention to the reaction of the Jews. It seems like Jesus just said, I am. I exist. Here I am. I'm standing in front of you. They knew that he was referencing back all the way into the book of Exodus, where God declared himself to be the great I am, the preeminent one, the always existing. I always have been. I always will be. I am. They knew that's what he was referring to. And we know that because they wanted to stone him for blasphemy. They knew he was claiming to be God. So they picked up rocks and he slid out of there. So let's check this out. What is this I am that Jesus is referring back to? Let's, let's go to Exodus chapter 2. To set the stage a little bit, Moses has run away from Egypt. He grew up there as a young man. Um, he's, he's run away. He actually had killed somebody, and he was running and hiding. And he's now been living for about 40 years in the wilderness. You know, Exodus sort of unpacks some of these things really quickly. He lived for about 40 years in Egypt. Then he lived for about 40 years in the wilderness of Midian before Moses went to set God's people free. He was 80 when the story starts where he walks in and begins to talk to Pharaoh. So at this moment, Moses is still kind of hiding and living as a shepherd out in the wilderness and God's people are miserable. They're enslaved and they're miserable and they're crying out for help. And so we pick up the story there. Exodus chapter two, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And I love verse 25. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The, the truth is, if you hear nothing else in my rambling this morning, I just want you to know when you're crying out for help, when you feel stuck and alone and abandoned, when you feel like there is no escape, no relief, you have a God who loves you, he sees you and he knows. He sees you and he knows. And so God purposed in his heart to do something about it. Verse one of chapter three. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Man, I can't even imagine that scene. Anybody uh, participate in any bonfires yet this year? Yeah, I love those. I love those. We, we've done one for years with the youth group back at Grace Chapel, and it gets bigger and crazier every year. It's like absurd now, but we collect Christmas trees and burn them like in January when they're dead and dried up. And it's just, it's huge. Like it's massive, but this is unique. Moses sees this bush burning and it's, it's not changing. 
there's still green leaves on there. Maybe there were flowers on this particular bush. I don't know, but it's, it's still growing and looking great. And so he approaches it to check it out. Verse three, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. I just want to highlight a couple quick things here. We need to adopt the posture that Moses adopts. Okay, first of all, he looked. Hey, there's something happening over there. There's something's on fire. And he looks. But he doesn't just glance. It then says he beheld. So he went from just kind of like noticing something was shining over here. He said, hold on a minute, I got to check this out. And he begins to behold it and he realizes there's something kind of unique going on. This is not normal. This is something unusual. And so he goes from a glance to beholding. And then it says he turned aside to see. He stopped in his tracks. He changed what he was doing and said, hold on. These sheep can wait. I got to check this out. And he stops and he travels over and he checks it out. There are things that Jesus wants to reveal to us that we just aren't going to see with a quick glance. I believe in what we do here on Sunday mornings. I wouldn't stand up here and teach if I didn't think this was important. But I'm, I'm just telling you, I, y'all would do great if you just sat with the word of God and listened to Jesus talk to you and didn't come and listen to me or add it to coming and listening to me or whatever. But there, there is value in us slowing down and gazing at who Jesus is, at who he is. We have an invitation to see, to behold, to turn aside, to look. And I just wonder what would happen in us if we would do that. And notice, it, it's not until Moses gets to the third response that God talks to him. It specifically says in verse four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. When he noticed that Moses was gonna take the time to come in close and check out what was going on, then God talked to him. And look how personal God gets. He didn't say, hey, random uh, shepherd dude out here, what's your name? Moses. He talked to him personally. That's the God we serve. If we will turn aside and see, we will find a God who longs for deep personal relationship. All right, so he begins to have this interaction with Moses and unpack what his plan is to rescue his people. He gives Moses an indication of what Moses' job is. Hey, I want you to participate with me. And Moses starts getting nervous. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go back to Egypt. And I'm just going to show up and tell these people, I'm here and you sent me. What am I supposed to say to them? And so in Exodus 3, 14, God said to Moses, tell them I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Does it make sense now why they freaked out when Jesus said, I am? I am the all existent eternal God who always has been, who always will be. I'm the one who shows up like a consuming fire and yet, you're not consumed. That's who Jesus is. He is God. He is the preeminent one. The reason that Christmas can be so offensive is that we have to deal with the question, who are we celebrating? Who is Jesus? Santa's not offensive. 
A guy that shows up and gives me gifts and laughs and is jolly, I'm willing to give him some cookies and milk. That's a pretty good trade. Jesus shows up and says, I am the, all, the always have been, always will be eternal God. And I've got a wonderful gift for you to unpack. But oh, by the way, I want to be your king. I want your life. I'm not going to settle for your milk and cookies. I want you. I love you and I want you. It's great news. It's offensive. Because it implies I need a king. It implies I need saving. But if we are willing to admit that, man, the life, the joy, the freedom that's available in him. Okay, so to wrap things up, I want to give you a little introduction into where we're going in the book of Revelation in this series, and then, and then we'll stop this morning. So if you're following along in your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Um, otherwise, we'll put these up on the screen. So really quickly, a couple things I want you to see. Number one, in, in the very first verse, John tells us what this letter, what this book is about. And he says in, in Revelation 1.1, 1, 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must take place soon. Okay, this book is not the book of revelations with an S. It's the book of the revelation of Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus and some things he wants to say to his people. That's what the book is about. Don't, don't let it become so confusing. It's a very visual book. In verse three, we're told there's a blessing for those who take time to hear it and to understand it. Check this out, Revelation 1 verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Reading it, hearing it, and keeping it. That word keep, it's like a guard. It's literally like a prison guard, somebody who's protecting it, making sure we hold on to it and don't lose it. Now, what's interesting to me about the book of Revelation, we're told there's a special blessing if we read it and hold on to it. The book of Revelation is confusing. Would anybody be willing to agree to that, admit that? If not, if you would come preach the rest of the series, that would be great. It's confusing. Here's where the blessing comes from, though. A lot of the confusion is because there's weird images. I don't understand what this mountain is or what this beast is or what this horn is. or Like, I don't understand these pictures I'm seeing. The blessing comes in the fact that the book of Revelation forces us to understand the rest of the Bible. The pictures in this book show up in other places in Scripture. And if I understand that, I begin to understand the message that's being given in the book of Revelation. So there's a blessing if we will give ourselves to this. Um, and then finally, I want you to see that, that John is inviting us as his brothers and sisters into this story. And so in verse 9, very personally, he writes and he says, I, John, your brother and partner your brother and partner. And there are three things he says he's a partner in. He's a partner with us in tribulation. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Anybody experience some tribulation in their life? He's our partner in tribulation. He understands life is hard. He's writing to people who get that, who've walked some hard roads. He also says we're partners in the kingdom. We have a common king and we're his kids. We're following him. So we're partners in tribulation, that stinks. But we're partners in his kingdom, that's good news. He's up to something here. 
And then finally, we're partners in the patient endurance that is in Jesus. And then he just tells you where he was. I was on the island called Patmos. So John is inviting us into this story. John is inviting us into what he saw, what he experienced. And so I want to close this by reading the first glimpse that he gives us of who he saw. I'm just going to, I'm not going to unpack all of these things. I'm just going to read them and give you one observation when I'm done. I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. And then from here on out, we'll be unpacking chapters two and three going forward. Revelation chapter one, verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, that's Jesus, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a surface. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades or hell. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands, they are the, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John, in the midst of trial and difficulty and tribulation, has this powerful vision of Jesus. And what he sees is that Jesus is in our midst. That's what he sees. Jesus is in the midst of his churches. And he's got something he wants to say to us. And so the question is, will I slow down? Will I behold? Will I turn aside to see him in all his glory and hear what he has to say? That's the invitation. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you, you love us, that you're calling to us. God, that you're inviting us daily into a relationship with you. God, I pray um, not just for this series that we're preaching, but Lord, just in our everyday lives with you, God, that we would see you for who you are. God, that more and more we would understand your true identity and your mission to love and rescue and save the people on this planet. God, I pray that we would then begin to discover more and more our true selves. Lord, help us not to be afraid of the light. Help us not to react the way the Jews who believed reacted, to pull back, to get defensive, to discredit you or what we're hearing. God, help us to embrace your, tr embrace your truth and your light. God, you long to set us free. God, I wanna be healed. I want to be forgiven. I want to walk in more freedom tomorrow than I have today. So Jesus, help us to say yes to you. 
and to listen and hold on to what you would say to us. Jesus, it is in your name, the great I am, that we pray. Amen. Amen.